This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, today I'm going to start off with a troubling statistic. It's troubling to me, at least. Okay. The statistic I want to bring to your attention is that women cry roughly four times as men, according to a biochemist who has studied crying. Well, that seems pretty high, Molly. It um, seems high. It makes us sound like gigantic crybabies. Big old crybabies. Well, um, you know, women crying has been sort of a big news story in the past six or eight months. One famous example that happened earlier this fall during the um, Democratic primary was when Hillary Clinton now famously cried um, on a campaign stop before the New Hampshire primary. And there was so much media buzz just about the fact that she didn't even really cry. There weren't really visible tears, as I remember, because, of course, I watched it along with everybody else. I watched it over and over again. Um, there weren't really visible tears. She wasn't boohooing. She just, her voice kind of cracked a little bit, and you could tell that she was sort of um, uh, welling up. Tearing up. And yet it was the hugest news story for that week. Oh, of course. Just And, you know, people were analyzing how much this affected her win in that primary. Mm-hmm. Did that bring out women who identified with her? It was, right. Very newsworthy. And Obama supporters were, you know, questioning whether or not she was faking the tears, whether she was sort of manipulating the votes by painting herself as a more approachable, emotional, average woman. And here's another example uh, before we get into crying in general. But this one was really troubling to me. I don't know if you remember. This also happened last year on her television show. This was pretty famous as well. Ellen DeGeneres cried. Mm hmm. Uh, because of a dog snafu. She'd adopted this dog. It didn't work. She gave it to another family, which was against the rules. So the, you know, the people she'd adopted the dog from came and took the dog away. So she just cried and cried on her show about, about this dog. And this is what, um, television host Bill Maher said about that on his show, according to the Associated Press. He said, uh, if I was a woman, I would be embarrassed right now. I would be embarrassed for all womankind. Wow. That was his response to just one woman crying. So I think the question we have to answer is, are women big crybabies? Why do women cry more than men four times as much? Because crying, you know, is sort of a a twofold thing because we hear about, we refer to a good cry Mm -hmm. as something that can be healthy and cathartic. But on the other hand, especially for women, crying in public can also, like you said, make us look like big, wimpy crybabies. So is this really some kind of emotional hang-up that women have more than men, or is it biology? And, you know, interestingly, uh, in the How Crying Works article that's on our site, 
it actually might have started off as just a psychosocial thing. Mm-hmm. Basically, the first time when they started cremating people back in the olden days, the ashes would get in people's eyes and cause their eyes to well up. And because it always happened around death, you know, people started associating crying with lots of emotion, loss, pain, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. And there are actually three types of tears that um, that we cry. We don't just cry, you know, at sappy movies and at funerals. We also are our body also naturally produces uh, tears to protect our eyes and keep them from drying out. So the first type of tears, just these very basic tears, are called basal tears. And those are the ones that you produce uh, five to ten ounces of basal tears every day. And these are the tears that keep your eyes from drying out. Right. But they don't they don't have to leave your eyes every day. Basically, mm-hmm. it drains through the nasal cavity. Mm-hmm. So if you do, if you are crying from your eyes and then you get a runny nose, the runny nose is not your emotional crying. It's like the basal tears just sort of releasing and you have so many tears. They just release out the nose. Right. And then a second type of tear are um, reflex tears and reflex tears are the ones that protect your eye from irritants. Like when um, if you are standing at a bonfire and the wind shifts and the smoke blows in your eyes, you start blinking a lot and might tear up because your your eyes are producing the tears to protect your eyes from the irritants in the smoke. Right. And what I found interesting about these tears is they are connected to the brain. I mean, maybe this is obvious to everyone but me, but basically it's your brain stem that is sending hormones to glands in your eyelids and saying, you know, pain, pain, release this pain from the body. And so it's very connected to the brain, which brings us into the next type of tear, which is the emotional tear that we all think of when we think about crying. That's connected to the cerebrum in the brain. And so that's where your, that's where your brain registers that you're sad. Basically, so it's the sad part of your brain releasing the hormones that tell you to cry. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit about what exactly a tear is. Um, you know, it looks like just a watery substance. We know that they're kind of salty. Um, tears are made up of protein, water, mucus, and oil. Mm, and they're yummy. I know, delicious. And they're released from the lacrimal gland in the upper outer region of your eye. But... The chemical makeup of these tears is going to change once you experience emotional crying. Right. If you're just crying because of, you know, the onion or whatever, you're just releasing water, basically. Right. They're 98% water. But as soon as you start crying uh, for an emotional reason, the most common cry- causes of emotional crying are basically just low-level stress or frustration and watching something sad on television. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're watching something sad on television. Beaches. Beaches. Fried green tomatoes. <laughs> it's mentioned several times in basically every article about crying that I could find. Maybe I should watch it if I need a good cry. But is there a good cry? We'll get back to that. So as soon as you start watching something sad or you just have a bad day and you just need to cry, all of a sudden chemicals are starting to get into the, to the mix. And our favorite thing, what is it, Kristen? Hormones. Hormones are in your tears. Uh, first is a, a protein called prolactin which, as you might guess from the name, is also associated with breast milk production. So the same breast milk producing hormone is also in your tear. Uh, also, a protein, I'm not going to say this right. Yes, you can, Molly. Thanks, Kristen. Adrenocorticotropic. I mean, yes, as good as basically I there's a hormone in there. And what this hormone was doing, um, it's, it's also, it's associated with high stress levels. So basically, um, you know, watching something sad kind of stresses you out because you might be imagining it happening in your own life. And so that hormone's going into overdrive. And then finally, we have an endorphin, which, uh, 
its name has a lot of vowels, and I'm really just not going to attempt to uh, to butcher it. So this ador- endorphin reduces pain and works to improve your mood. So tears, emotional tears, are pretty complex. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot um, of different sort of emotions that are being fed into your tears, and the release of them is either releasing stress or reducing pain, mm-hmm. which I found really interesting. So that's why people do say you can have a good cry. You're basically releasing toxins from your body. So when, in that study that you mentioned first about women crying four times more than men, that was referring to emotional tears, correct? Yes. So let's talk a little bit about why men and women um, have these gender differences with specifically emotional tears. So it was very hormonal. But you know, Kristen, there's not always a huge difference in emotional tears. I mean, from the time we're born as babies and then through puberty, boys and girls are crying at equal rates. Right. All babies cry because they need to have their most basic needs fulfilled. They obviously cannot talk. They can't communicate to their mother in any other way that they need to be fed or changed or whatever, except by crying. Then something interesting happens at the age of 10 months. Babies start to exhibit something called manipulative crying. And this is when they start crying because they want something more than just, you know, food and diaper change. They maybe want some more attention or toys, toys. And Molly, this, this was a, this was a little astounding to me. Some studies have reported that women in particular, um, carry on that manipulative crying behavior throughout life more so than men just to be able to give them what they want. So you have this stereotypical girl who gets pulled over for a speeding ticket and Im- immediately the waterworks start and we have an example of manipulative crying. So you're saying that from 10 months, I knew that I could cry just to get out of an argument if I wanted to. Well, I'm not saying that, Molly. The research <laughs> is saying that. But uh, What a 10-month-old genius I was. <laughs> um, and then, like you said, boys and girls do cry equal amounts uh, until they hit puberty. And then, what do you know? Hormones. Hormones come into play. And as the level of testosterone in boys rises, their levels of... their Frequency of crying decreases and the opposite happens to girls while um, estrogen rises and crying goes up as well. Right. And as we mentioned before, one of the main hormones that's going on in your tear is prolactin, Mm -hmm. which is the breastfeeding hormone, basically. And so, of course, women are going to have much more of this in their body, even if they're not having babies at the time, they they have, I think it, let's see. They have 60% more prolactin in their bodies. That's a lot. That's that's sort of ridiculous. Of course we cry more. And so basically they're just saying that that protein is always running in our, in our systems and that's why we're going to cry. And do you know how many times, according to one study, a woman cried in a year, Kristen? Give it to me. 64. 64 times? That's basically a sixth of your year. Every day you're crying. I think that's over... Well, what's interesting is the beginning of that study, uh, they were supposed to estimate how many times they think they would cry in Uh a year. Everyone undershot it. Wow. And then it ended up being 64 compared to men who only cried 17 17 times each year. That sounds about more like it. Well, maybe maybe you don't have enough prolactin in your body. Well, going back to this uh, whole whole hormonal uh, explanation for why women cry more than men, once... Uh, women and men hit middle age and menopause kicks in, the gender difference between crying sort of levels off, doesn't it? Yeah, basically as soon as, you know, the prolactin isn't running through our bodies, it does, it does even out. And men might even cry a little bit more. But, um, one reason why men might cry less 
according to theories, I mean, it's all it's all speculative at this point, mm-hmm. is that men may sweat more than women on average. So they're, they're sweating so, out there. They're sweating their out sadness. all these negative hormones. Yeah. Gives sweat into the oldies a whole, whole new, whole new meaning to me. So we have men sweating more. They're sweating out all their tears. And also, Molly, men's tear glands, those lacrimal glands are smaller in men than women. So it might be also that men simply cannot physically produce as many tears as we can. Size matters. <laughs> yes, it does. So basically, yeah, I mean, with our bigger tear glands, we can produce more quantity, more all the time. We've just got these mega glands working for us. In addition to our tears. mega hormones. But Molly, we might, women might have a little bit of a health advantage since we tend to cry more than men. Some research has shown that really letting those emotional tears out can actually lower your risk of heart disease and hypertension. And also people suffering from conditions like colitis and ulcers tend to have a less positive attitude about crying than their healthier counterparts, which seems to indicate a correlation between, you know, your health and whether or not you're crying. If you're holding in all these tears, all this tension, it's building up and it's actually causing health problems or contributing to health problems. Right. But then on the other side, something that's worrying is that, you know, we know that women are are diagnosed more often with depression Mm -hmm. and crying is often seen as a symptom of depression as opposed to something that we may just be doing biologically. Exactly. So we sort of have this conundrum of, you know, tears being good and bad physically. What about crying in, let's say, the workplace. Oh, Kristen, it is always bad to cry in the workplace. Suicide, right? Suicide. I mean, you know, Ellen cried in the workplace. She got blasted by Bill Maher. Hillary cried on the workplace. CNN had a field day with it. She did win an election. One election. She won She won the battle, but not the war. Yeah, that's true. But um, even on The Apprentice, the one that was hosted by Martha Stewart, mm. when a contestant cried, Martha told her, Women in business do not cry. Just as there's no crying in baseball, there's no crying in the workplace. That's right. Um, and this is it, this might be kind of hard because women really are more inclined than men to feel the urge to cry when they're frustrated. So these smaller frustrations at work, maybe being late or botching a presentation or just those kind of small irritants that can build up and get under your skin will make us want to cry more than men. But, Molly, it might also be because women socially are not um, as free to express their anger outwardly, if that makes sense. Oh, I think so. Like, let's say you asked for a raise. It was denied. Like, you know, a guy might just go out and throw a stapler. Pound his fist. Yeah. And and then the woman, if she does that, she is an emotional time bomb mm-hmm. ticking away before she is carried away to a straitjacket. <laughs> right. And uh, in this article about women crying in the workplace uh, from the New York Times uh, cites a psychology professor at Yale University who says that if women could act out like men, there would probably be less tears. And one book on crying called Crying, the Natural and Cultural History of Tears um traces this workplace repression of tears and then back to the Industrial Revolution when managers would train these male workers to be calm and rational while, you know, the women were still working at home. Right. So they weren't, they didn't get this sort of on-the-job training about tears. Mm -hmm. All they know is they showed up and they could not cry. Right. And in Western culture, there's definitely a stigma of, you know, men being more stoic and not crying. 
so they don't show weakness. Right. Basically, if you do cry, you're showing weakness and you're showing that you're less, um, I guess, capable to take on these small irritants every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if a woman's in a, in a leadership position, if she's the boss, uh, you know, I think there'd be a lot of pressure to not cry, to not lose that composure. Uh, even though, you know, like we said, there, it might just be sort of a biological response to things that are going on in your body. Exactly. And speaking of women in leadership crying, um, one study from Pennsylvania State University found that men's tears are viewed more positively than women's. So say if something stressful is going on in the workplace and your boss you know, breaks down a little bit in the meeting, your male boss, I should say, breaks down a little bit in the meeting, it might be a sign that, oh, he's, you know, you see a human side he's of human. him. He's just, you know, he's a little more sensitive than you thought he was. Whereas if that was a female boss, you would tell her to grab her hanky and go home. Right. And it's, it definitely, I think people evaluate the cause of the tear. They'll look at you sort of the degree of situation, mm-hmm. which may be why something like crying over a dog on television was really poo-pooed. But if you cry, like, let's say over, you know, a major national tragedy, that's right. going to be seen as very dignified, very, mm-hmm. um, you know, in touch with emotions, et cetera. Right. But, okay, so we know you can't cry in the workplace, but I, I can admit every now and then it happens. So what are we going to do about it? Let's give people some tips. If you're in in your office, you need to cry, what should you do? First of all, just keep in mind that workplace is not the place to cry. you got to get out of the office. If, if you can't hold it back and you're not in a meeting or anything like that and you can step out, do so. Don't go to the bathroom. Right. That is the place where people normally go to cry. Do not do it because someone is going to see you. Right. And then that's just going to lead to gossip about you being some weepy worker. Right. You need to take a walk, go sit in your car if you have to, listen to some feel good tunes, Mm -hmm. but, and breathe, breathe, get away from the office. And if you are in a meeting and you feel it starting to well up inside of you, don't try and hold your breath because Mm -hmm. then if you release it, it might kind of sound like a sob. So you need to keep breathing deeply, breathing regularly. And, you know, there are all sorts of things you might do, like pinch your cheek, pinch your leg, um, you know, kind of, you know, things like there are coping mechanisms. They're probably going to be different for everyone. So kind of experiment. And worst case scenario, you're in a meeting with your boss. You freak out. You start crying. If that happens, you got to go to your boss and talk to him or her afterwards to just let let them know that, hey, sorry, I freaked out. This is not normally me. And I can take control of the situation. Yeah, acknowledge the fact that you cried. Get it out of the way. Yeah, and acknowledge that, you know, clearly we were talking about a situation where I feel very passionate. I think you can kind of spin it into a positive, like, you know, I feel very strongly about this project I was assigned, about the reasons I deserve a raise, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the one thing you do not do. Yeah, this is this is important. And this is something that I think everyone's done once in a while is to blame to it do. on hormones and your period. Do not say, oh, I'm sorry, I was just having my period. Because while that sounds like an easy excuse, it does not help your working sisters. Right. It does not reflect well on you as a professional. You got to say professional. Yeah, Kristen, big girls don't cry, dot, 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 in the workplace. But I don't want to sound too down on tears. I mean, when we started, we were talking about how tears are sort of a biological response to to hormones. You've got to get out of your body. Mm -hmm. There is a reason why uh, we refer to crying sometimes as a good cry. It can have very positive health results, like we mentioned before, and also just um, positive psychological effects. Uh, There was a study that came out in December 2008 from the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology about um, whether or not crying actually is cathartic, whether that emotional release really is 
a positive thing. And of course, it found mixed results that depended completely on when and where you cry. So let's say you are upset in the workplace, you run into the bathroom, you're sobbing, your boss walks in, sees you crying. It's probably not going to be a very cathartic, positive experience. Uh, the results of the study found that if in order for a cry to be a positive experience, it needs to have um, three elements. You need to have social support surrounding this. If you are crying in front of somebody, it needs to be someone who is encouraging you and you know, coaching you through things, saying it's going to be okay. Then second, there needs to be some kind of resolution to whatever made you cry in the first place. If it was like, um, you know, a stressful job presentation, go back, think about what you did, think about how you could, you know, maybe do better the next time and then have a new understanding of whatever made you cry as well. So kind of have to come full circle with the whole crying experience in order for an emotional cry to really be a honest cleansing experience. Wow, that was really impressive, Kristen. I know. It kind of makes me want to go home and watch Beaches with you. Yeah, I think I I could use a good cry now. (laughs) All right, so while we um, go have a good cry. Let's go cry it out, Molly. Cry it out. And if you want to tell us your crying story or just have any other questions or comments about the podcast, you can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And if you have more questions about crying, check out How Crying Works by Aaliyah Hoyt on howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.